How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Listening to Booze and Baseball with Derek Johnson. I'm Dusty Baker. Pull up a seat and sit with us at our bar. Let's talk some ball. Derek, we got a kind of new system that we are doing this podcast on as we continue to go about our business here. Uh, we've been trying little things here and there to uh, maybe make our podcast a little stronger, and especially with the deadline here, as teams try to equip themselves and make themselves stronger. We're doing the same. We're using StreamYard this time. Looks good. It seems like it's pretty clear. You'll be seeing these podcasts on YouTube as well. Uh, but Derek, I think the big thing, we have a visual uh, even if you're listening at home, though, you know the drill here. Derek's got a drink. I got a drink. Derek, what are you drinking? Okay, I'm going to actually let you go first because I just realized I forgot to get ice. For my oh, no, no, shaker. that's the worst. <laughs> I know. So no, I got to get ice. You go. I will be okay. right over in the other room, so I'll, I'll still be able to hear you. Perfect. Well, all you have to do is see this. Uh, this is what I call the – it's actually inspired by Cody Bellinger. Um, it is a berry blast. It's, it's essentially a bomb right? The, uh, those ice pop bombs, they make it so it's red, white, and blue. Since of course we had the 4th of July, uh, not terribly long ago, I was inspired to make my own version of the bomb pop cocktail, if you will. And so I made my own version here. It's starting to kind of drift off a little bit. Uh, you might be able to see it though. At the very top, it's red middle is white. That's what's really kind of fading right now at the moment. Bottom is blue. So you have so many different ways of doing this, but there is one key ingredient and that is the Smirnoff red, white, and berry. Uh, and, and this simply has cherry, citrus, and sweet blue raspberry. So you whip this together. It does take some time. It took me probably about, I don't know, 15 minutes to actually make this look good. And uh, as you can tell, it quickly kind of takes away from uh, the initial setup that you have because it all blends together. But uh, if you're smart, if you do it right, I saw this on TikTok, you blend just it could be like a powerade uh do a blue powerade with the vodka throw in a little bit of either mark mike's hard lemonade um or some sort of other liquor if you want uh there's kind of a lot of ways you could do that blend it together layer at the bottom then lemonade same thing layer it put that in the middle and then the very top you got cherry so this is my bomb pop cocktail and uh hopefully it's reminiscent of what's going to happen here foreshadowing if you will of the trade deadline because i hope that uh we don't bomb here for the deadline. I hope it's actually a good deadline coming up. Yes. Okay. So that looks good. I'd be interested to it try is. it. Um, I'm going to make a bee's knees. Bee's knees. Bees knees. It is a cocktail. So um, I've, I've got some some gin here. I'm going to go with some Bombay Sapphire. I also have some Hendrix behind me, but that's some lavender gin. So I, I think that might give me a different flavor than maybe I'm going for here. So uh, we need two ounces into our cocktail shaker which we got here. Now I got the ice, so we're good on that end. Uh, Then we need about a half ounce of lemon juice. So got the lemon juice here. Say that's about half an ounce, kind of eyeballing some (laughs) of this. And then uh, we got to get about an ounce, three quarters of an ounce, depends how sweet you want it to be, of honey. Now, are you, did you kind of go off a, you know, original drink recipe of this, or are you just kind of, is this kind of a way you put it together over time? I've honestly, I've never made, well, I've made this drink 
in my days as a past bartender for a short period of time. Okay. I've never made this drink actually for myself. And I was a bartender okay. a while ago. That was, yeah. I don't know, more than a handful of years ago. Yeah. Um, so I haven't made this in a while, to be honest, but this is just the standard edition of this drink. All right. So I've got it all in the mixer. Cool. You gotta have ice in it to cool it off, obviously, right? So the key is with this. That's a great shape. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> that almost knocked your hat off. <laughs> I know. I was doing the switch. I can't do any fun tricks like the people in Vegas. Under the legs. <laughs> yeah. So when you pop this bad boy off. The fastball. And then uh, we got our little strainer on top. Beautiful, man. This is beautifully set up. And I just realized I left my cup in the freezer. <laughs> the ice in the cup. Probably the two easiest things to get. And yet you have this amazing contraption where you have literally everything else also if you're listening at home and you've listened to our podcast before derek's got quite the collection uh of wine bottle caps of, or wine bottle corks i should say uh behind him that wine wall if you will it's starting to come together really well yeah well it one really of the uh one of the things fell down but oh, oh no my wife must have put it back up so we're good we're good bit of a hectic day for me as you can tell i've been running all <laughs> down up and down so now I try the drink in a chilled glass. And it's delicious. It's delicious. Honey and lemon go perfectly. Yeah. Go with people for tea. You put it with gin. It's a refreshing drink. Um, you get a little bit of the, the sour. You get a little bit of the sweet. Taste a little bit of the gin, but it's not overpowering. Highly recommend. Let's see it. Let's see it. I want to yeah. see it. It's a little a, foggy in the glass. but A little foggy. Yeah. No, it looks good, man. Hey. Back to action we go. Uh, new start here with uh, the trade deadline coming up. Cheers to you, though. And cheers to the All-Stars. And cheers to the Home Run Derby winner, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Kind of crazy, Derek. But it seemed like a lot of people didn't pick Vlad Guerrero Jr. It's it, He kind of just drifted into the competition. It felt like, um, you know, the popular choice, of course. You had Pete Alonso going back into it and, and the success that he's had over the past few years. Julio Rodriguez was a possible pick for some people just because of the hometown hero. Uh, you had Adley Rutschman, kind of the intrigue of the switch hitting, which he actually did. But Vlad Guerrero Jr., just kind of not even a storyline into this year, surprisingly. And he goes on and wins it. Kind of a unique year for him to win it. Yeah. Um, Vladdy, you know, I don't know. It was, it was kind of cool, the storyline and stuff of seeing him go through. Um, I really liked the intrigue of what happened in the earlier rounds, to be completely honest. But it, it's hard not to like the storyline of having him win it when his father won it before he becomes the first, you know, father-son duo to win the Derby. But, yeah, I mean, like seeing Pete Alonso kind of lose early, like that to me was was maybe an even bigger storyline because yeah. he takes it so seriously he and he's does, been so man. good at yeah. the event. So to see him lose kind of early on was – uh, as much intrigue for me as anything that happened in the Derby. Pete Alonso does everything just stoic face. He, he's stone cold. And I can't imagine how angry he was with himself that he got knocked down in the first round. Like that is the worst thing that can happen to Pete Alonso. I, and maybe it's why he's been in such a huge slump. Meanwhile, the next day though, the NL would go on to win the all-star game for the first time in over a decade. I mean, that is pretty unbelievable to think about. Uh, granted, it doesn't have the same impact, of course. It doesn't matter with World Series home field. Now it's the best record. But what is kind of your takeaway from the fact that the All-Star game itself, it was a pretty competitive game once again, but the NL finally kind of snapping a streak that no, I wouldn't say many people were even talking about. No, I think once the you know All-Star game lost the home field advantage thing, like it's become less prevalent about the streaks of who's winning who's not right but yeah it's been a really long time uh to have Elias Diaz be the guy who hits it first all-star game at 32 years old you know he's had a great first half he has but also if he's on a different team does he get the all-star nod I don't know maybe not so I, I cool kind of story and, and come up there uh Camilo Duvall Giants getting the win so that was kind of cool to see too even though there's one of those things where I don't know about you, but when one of your players is like a pitcher is in the all-star game, like with the position players, it's like whatever. But when one of the pitchers, I'm just like, I don't want them to pitch. I don't want yeah. like anything bad to happen to them. But he ended up getting the win. And yeah, I was cool with Elias Diaz because that's a guy who 
I don't know. He might not ever make an all-star game uh, again. Like it's, it's going to be, you know, kind of an uphill battle from there. So to have that moment, I think is really cool for him. It's kind of interesting that you mentioned, you know, you don't want to see your pitcher out there. And uh, the perfect representation of that was last year, Tony Gonsolin on the Hill uh, representing the Dodgers that was in Dodger stadium. And he gets the loss as well. And uh, you know, a year later you're looking at him and he's barely a candidate to stay in the rotation. Right. So it's crazy how, these things kind of quickly turn around and uh, you mentioned Diaz, maybe he doesn't see the all-star game again. What, what a moment for him to be able to have that opportunity. Um, and there were a couple other cool moments as well. Some great defensive plays in the outfield, seeing Luis arise, continue to get on base the way he does. That's always been fun. Um, I, I would say that overall it was a pretty fun all-star week and it went quickly, of course. And then we get back into the second half of the year and, and now here we are as we go into the trade deadline. So we're going to get into the trade deadline in just a moment here. But before we do that, we're going to do a quick chug and look back at its stat. Now, the day that we're officially posting this is July the 26th. So naturally, we're going to look back at July the 26th. And, and I think this is an interesting thing to keep in mind here, Derek, because while we talk about the deadline in July 31st specifically, there are moves that are made well beforehand and where there's a very decent chance we're going to start seeing that over the course of the next uh, couple of days here but july 26 just a couple of years back here in 2021 on that date the padres they acquired adam frazier not that big of a name but it was the return for the pirates that's actually really intriguing they get Takupita marcano who hasn't done a whole heck of a lot yet he's made an appearance or two uh, but Jack Sawinski was the guy that really is a headline there. That was a steal for the Pirates uh, to be able to get him. Then you get Mitchell Miliano, another face that uh, kind of just within their system that, that hasn't panned out. But uh, that's one example. 2018, the Astros got Martin Maldonado, and the Angels got Patrick Sandoval. So trade within the division, and it seems like the Angels kind of got the better end of that deal. Uh, 2015, the Reds traded away Johnny Cueto and also cashed to Kansas City. And the Reds acquired in that trade, Brandon Finnegan, John Lamb, Cody Reed. And at that time, Finnegan seemed like a great ad, hadn't really panned out. So shows your prospects don't always pan out accordingly. Uh, 2014, your Giants, they acquired Jake Peavy from the Red Sox for pitchers Heath Hembry and Edwin Escobar, obviously very serviceable with Peavy. And one last one of note, 2006, the Cleveland Indians. Yes, they were the Indians back then, trading Ben Brassard and Cash to the Seattle Mariners for a player to be named later. And Shinsu Chu, which we all know would go on to be a very, very solid player over time. But of course, uh, you know, you look back at this and it's just crazy to reflect on some of these trades. Oh, yeah. Uh, the PV one obviously sticks out for me for, you know, a, a lot of reasons. Um, he was awesome with the Giants. He ended up having like a two ERA for the rest of that season. Was great in uh, one of their divisional round games and a series that they upset the Washington Nationals. He was huge for that team that ended up winning a World Series that year. And it was funny because I remember, you know, Heath Hembry was seen as being this like top tier closer prospect. And that hasn't really panned out to your point on you never really know which guys are going to pan out or not. You go to 2015. Yeah, the, the Royals don't win that World Series without Johnny Cueto. I, I think that 2018 one is the most interesting one to me, though, here, because, you know, Patrick Sandoval from like a value perspective. Yeah, he's he's definitely, you know, brought more. I, I don't know, maybe not even value like stats might be the right word. Uh, is a better just individual player in a vacuum than Martin Maldonado. But Maldonado has been really vital for the Astros over the, you know, since oh, totally. they fired him. He's such a good fielder, and he was constantly in a lot of those lineups that were going deep, throwing out runners. And I, I think that's the classic trade where, like, both teams won. Both yeah. teams came away from it feeling good. The Angels got a future pitcher. The Astros got a, a kind of key cog as a catcher to, you know, control their pitchers and, and everything. That That's kind of a win-win trade. And that's the beauty of some of these – you know, some of them are win-win. Um, the Padres getting Adam Frazier for Jack Sawinski, like if they would have ended up having a, a great postseason run in 2021, they probably would have been like, you know what? It hurts that we gave him up, but it's a win-win. Frazier, unfortunately, really kind of slumped after that and, and really has ever since. Because if you remember, he was hitting like 300. It was like right. 300, 320, yeah. something like that with the Pirates. Yeah. And it's just kind of fallen off since then. It is crazy to look back on that. Yeah, Frazier, from a fantasy standpoint at one point, he was in the top 40 uh ranking wise yahoo standard leagues it was a great season for him that year uh but you know when you look at this upcoming trade deadline i think these are just lessons to learn from because 
there are just so many ways to look at each and every trade. And generally speaking, the team that's selling, the fan bases aren't going to be too happy seeing their favorite players go. But I just, I think this is a good reminder that a lot of times, you know, their favorite player going to a different team, the return can be significant and can really change and shape the franchise in the future. And all of a sudden you're acquiring one of your favorite players you never heard of before. Uh, down the road, three years later, you're wearing their jersey. So it is it is interesting. And the fact that we can see these trades starting as early as uh, the time this podcast posts, I mean, that, that's the crazy thing about it. So before we get into our talk about the deadline specifically, though, we are going to dig into our mailbag. We received a couple questions from y'all uh, listening to our podcast. We really thank you for that. And if you do listen to our podcast, feel free to shoot those our way through Twitter or through email as well. Uh, we would love to answer your questions. You can also DM Derek or myself on Twitter, um, or I guess we can't even call it Twitter anymore, the X, which is ridiculous. Um, so starting with the mailbag, we have Paul who asked, who will be the best arm available at the MLB trade deadline? Derek, do you want to take that to start? Yeah, uh, I guess Shohei Otani would be <laughs> technically the best arm and the best bat if he is available. We'll get into more of Otani, though, coming up. Um, I'm not going to pick him, and I don't even know if he will be available, to be honest. So um, I, I think it's pretty clear the Chicago White Sox. Actually, they're scrolling on the ticker if you're watching on our YouTube feed, which uh, subscribe if you haven't. 41 and 60, it's clear the White Sox need to be sellers. So, you know, pick which White Sox arm ends up being traded. I don't know if they'll trade both with Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease or if they'll just end up trading one. But whichever one is available, if not both, then it'd be that one. If it is both, I would go with Dylan Cease at that point in time. Um, but yeah, man, I I would probably take either of those over, like if the Mets end up being sellers, which we don't know if they will or won't, over Verlander and Scherzer. Though those guys would probably at least be in the discussion. Uh, did I miss anyone? Who else sticks out to you? No, you, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I guess you could throw out the name Marcus Stroman, but I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, when you're talking about Dylan Cease, uh, Cease to me is the, the biggest game changer. And he's also going to be the, the biggest cost as far as prospects are concerned. And he's got a little more value moving forward. Um, so I would say he would be the biggest name out of the group. Of course, if Justin Verlander is acquired, that's a huge move in and of itself because of the salary that he's going to command as well. I mean, think about the fact that he is going to be one of the highest paid players next year as well. And a team is going to have to either eat that up when they bring him in or the Mets eat him up and they buy a prospect essentially. So curious to see what happens down the road. I do think the Mets are a very intriguing team just because, of course, they're a little more interesting with ownership. Steve Cohen, you never know what you're going to get out of him. But at the end of the day, I would say Dylan Cease would be the big name that should be available. If I'm the White Sox right now, I mean, things are not looking good. Uh, the only player that they really should retain is, I would say, Luis Robert and probably Eloy Jimenez as well. Um, moving on to the next one, Nomar asking, what is your favorite All-Star game or home run derby memory? Derek? I actually think back to it's funny because we had Vladdy win it this year. The Vladimir Guerrero senior one. Now, part of that, it was at, at the time, AT&T Stadium. But I just remember him like – it was either him or someone else. I just remember it was in that home run derby hitting the, like, Coke bottle or the glove, which is, like, 500 yeah. feet away. I think it was Vladimir Guerrero senior. He ended up winning that home run derby, which was cool. That whole, you know, kind of weekend because at the time I'm – I don't know, like a pre-adolescent, whatever that is. So you, you remember that stuff even more, I think, oh, yeah. positively. And that uh, all-star game itself, on top of it, after Vladimir Guerrero Sr. wins it, um, it was Ichiro hitting like the inside the park home run off the big wall and right. That weekend was a lot of fun. I think outside of that, like the Josh Hamilton just going off, but then eventually losing to like, I think it was Justin Morneau right. in the home run derby. That one sticks out. Um, 2012, the Giants had like, a bunch of players in it and i think melky cabrera like went off and they went off against like justin verlander in the first inning who they ended up tagging in game one of the world series later that year Th those are the ones that stick out to me it's crazy i mean those i think for especially our generation those moments are the ones that definitely stick out the most because i would have said josh hamilton uh at that time we just hadn't seen anything like this then they changed the rules of the home run derby I, and i'll be honest I get what they were trying to do. It's cool to see a lot more home runs, but we'll never get another moment like what we got from Josh Hamilton. I will say, 
Todd Frazier winning the home run derby in his home ballpark was a really cool moment as well. Even if it was against Jock Peterson, that, that moment was really special um, to see that. And Todd Frazier was one of the most likable players uh, when he played. So I think that he's kind of more forgotten. And that memory is something that I, I kind of look back at as, yeah, that was really awesome. Especially being in Reds country now where, you know, people mention Todd Frazier a little bit more. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know what? He was really actually awesome. And we kind of just forget about him now. So I think that home run derby memory is probably second to that of Josh Hamilton for me. Um, but I will say the Ichiro inside the park home run, probably the most impressive thing that I've seen. I will also say Mariano Rivera's final time taking the hill uh, and just nobody taking the field except for him when he's running out to close out the game. That was that was really cool. Obviously not a Yankees fan, but as a fan of baseball, to see one of the all-time greats honored the way that he was and close it out, no pun intended, the way that it was supposed to be. I mean, that was really cool. And there are things in baseball you just can't write. And simply put, that's one of them. So uh, love that. Also love seeing Albert Pujols in the home run derby, by the way, that was uh, to close out his career. I mean, those are the kind of memories that are just awesome. So um, I would say those are kind of up there with what Derek had previously touched. Uh, Olivia has a question kind of similar to what we've seen already here, but who is the first big name that will be on the move? Uh, Derek, it's pretty simple. It's hard to predict these things right now, but you kind of have to envision that it's going to be maybe a position player. Yeah, I guess it depends like what you consider a big name. Like, Tim Anderson is a well-known player in the MLB, multi-time All-Star. He's had a really tough year, though. He's gotten a lot better so far in, in the short stint post-All-Star break. Um, if you consider him a big name, I could see that happening. White Sox are clearly out of it at this point. Seems like that would make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, the news today, like Shane Bieber going on the 60-day IL, we'll see how that has an effect there. Man, I, I, I feel like with the Mets, with the Angels – um, like those are teams that they're close enough that if they get hot this week and they, you know, they go five and one this week or something, they might convince themselves they're buyers. So I think there are certain teams where if they're close to 500 or close to the playoff race, they're going to squeeze this thing as long as possible. They're going to wait as long as possible. So I, I think a team more like that, that, that is clearly out of it makes a lot more sense. So I guess I'll go with Tim Anderson. Yeah, I I'll go up that same wavelength. If you want to consider you know, CJ Crone to be a big name. I mean, he was an all-star not that long ago, right? Uh, big power bat when healthy. I, I could see him kind of on the move, maybe being one of the, one of the first chips to fall. Um, there's just not a lot, like you kind of mentioned, of teams that have great top-tier talent that are obviously sellers outside of the White Sox. So right. it feels like it's the White Sox, White Sox, White Sox we're going to be talking about. Now, I will say this, there are always players every deadline that we sit there and we're like, wow, how did I not see that coming? You know, a player that was on the move or one that shocks us. I am going to say this, the Cincinnati Reds, there is a rumor going around right now that Jonathan India could very well be on the move, which I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. And we'll get to that in just a little bit, but maybe he could be on the move dependent on the fact that there's just a lot of momentum towards that. So maybe that's, that's a part of that. Maybe they had something in play. Um, but outside of that, I, I would say watch for the White Sox. Um, moving to the next question, which is about Jonathan India, which is why we kind of wanted to hold on that. Why are the Reds okay with trading Jonathan India? That came from Sean. Um, it's a really good question, Derek. <laughs> so I actually understand this um, a little bit. Like, I know he's 26. He's had these really productive seasons. I will say this. If you play fantasy baseball, Jonathan India ranks very highly in fantasy baseball. He is one of those players, though, who is more of a – like he he's almost a better fantasy baseball player than he is a real-life player. Yeah. His WRC+, plus, which measures to league average. Would you like to take, take a guess what it is, uh, 100 being league average? Yeah, I, I I think I read it the other day, actually. It was like – 108 or something along those lines. He's at a 99. He's at, at a 99. 99. He last has had a slump. He's been slumping too. Last year he was at a 95, which obviously last year was a bad year. Year uh, First year was a 120. But basically that means that, you know, he's, he's kind of a stat accumulator who's about a league average player. And, you know, overall he puts up a lot of stats at the top of an order in a good ballpark. So he becomes a great fantasy player, but in real life value, 
he's closer to being, you know, I, even if the WRC plus says he's closer to being an average player, I'll, I'll say above average player. We know he's like a good player, but from the Reds point of view, they're like, well, look at all these guys. We have to get playing time to Ellie. De La Cruz is up. Matt McLean's on the infield. Joey Votto is in at first base in a lot of different lineups. Uh, Christian Encarnacion strand. He can play in the infield or the outfield. Nick Senzel can play in the infield or the outfield. Spencer Steer, Steer can play in the outfield or at third base. And then you have all these outfielders, too, that you're trying to get playing time for that squeeze some of those players who can play outfield but can also play the infield like CES and Spencer Steeler, like a Will Benson whenever they're playing against righties, which is the more common matchup. Jake Fraley's good. TJ Friedel's good. Like, they have so many good players that I don't think this is them being like, hey, we want to trade Jonathan India because we don't think he's very good. Or I think they're basically saying we have a surplus of talent and we're going to have even more coming up soon whenever like Noel V. Marte and some of these other guys come around that they're like, listen, he's a good player, but in real life terms, he's not as good as fantasy. And if we could get like, like imagine if, if you're Cincinnati and you're going, we can get Dylan Cease for Jonathan India and a prospect. Like at that point, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I completely agree with everything you said there. Um, that's kind of been my argument as well as, you know, India can provide such value that actually can put you over the top. And I do think that because of the production that Noel V. Marte is showing at the triple A level right now, like I, I was at a game for Noel V just a couple days ago. He had his first career home run at triple A. It went 464 feet. He hit it out of the ballpark. Like he cleared the entire stadium and it went 113.8 miles per hour, which is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. So they've got that kind of pop in a bat that hasn't even come up yet. Um, mind you, his slash line is like 324, 365, 515, I believe is what it is. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. I just looked it up earlier today. Um, Noel V has looked really good. And you mentioned, I mean, they've got so much depth in the infield specifically. And the, it's just, it's continuing to come up. So, yeah, I think if you're trying to actually build a strong overall team, instead of being, you know, top heavy in certain areas and weak in others and more balanced uh, approach. Yeah. India makes the most sense. I think the only thing that's difficult and this is, you know, stats can't cover this, but it is the human element, right? So India has been with this team at its absolute low, right? Like he's seen the absolute low and he's been a crucial piece to bringing them up to where they are today. And so while the numbers obviously haven't been as great over the last couple of weeks here, he still is right in the heart of that locker room. He's kind of actually more of a veteran face. I know he's young, but he's more of a veteran face in a locker room full of young guys, right? Guys that look up to him that, um, you know, he's a big reason why they do the the cape and the, the horn when they hit a home run, they throw on the cape and the horns and uh, they go down the dugout. Like he's a big reason why they do that. And he's, He's a big reason why there's just a lot of energy in the clubhouse. So you do wonder, you know, it is a business. That's number one. Baseball is a business. And I think everybody understands that, but you just wonder if you're taking a fan favorite out of that lineup and you're taking them out of that city after what they've created, which is a magical run. Does that, you know, shoot, a, shoot, shoot them in the foot a little bit. I don't know. So it is kind of a, a tough patch because he's the most likely candidate to be traded. It just makes sense on paper. It just sucks. You know, it's it's just kind of a bummer that's who it would have to be. So that that kind of breaks it all down right there. Uh, Madeline asked and uh, specifically focused on the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts. What is the state of Dave Roberts' job after this run that they've had? It's a I really would imagine. It, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would imagine good. They're in yeah. first in the division. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a good question because Dodgers fans were calling for his head, you know, a month ago right? When they weren't having any production and they were in third place, they looked like a team that wouldn't even make the playoffs at one point. They really did. And they seem to do this year in, year out um, where they just have this weird fall off where they're not playing up to their potential. And then they just take off and they've really done that. Um, and all of a sudden Dodgers fans no longer talking about Dave Roberts, me included, because I was on that list of man, Dave Roberts ain't helping them. So it, it is a good question because you know, what, what if they fall off again and, uh, the postseason you know they lose again in uh the the nlds like are they going to call for dave roberts head again like wh when is a manager doing a good job versus when is it his team right like that's the hardest thing i would say though yeah he's in a very safe position at the moment pretty safe at least 
Um, and next question we have is from Joe. And it's, of course, the Shohei Otani one. Last question we got here today. If Otani is on the trade block from the Angels, could that make the trade deadline suck because all the teams are holding their prospects and not making smaller trades in case they can get Shohei? I think it's an interesting thought process. Um, basically saying, like, if you're a team who's in on Shohei and you know you're going to have to give up this insane package of prospects, how can you then trade a few of those prospects or one of those prospects for just like a small player? So could this hold things up un unless it's like players that have no impact on this? I, I think that's entirely possible. It is actually a really great question. And the more I think about it, you know, we, we just talked about it. I mean, trades happen before July 31st. Are we going to see those for the teams that want Shohei Otani, right? Like, are they going to sit on their hands and wait knowing that they've got these prospects that are disposal that they may not dish, knowing that they can maybe reel in Otani that way. So it is actually a really great question. Now, I don't think it's going to impact all the trades because, you know, you have teams out there that, you know, it, I mean, everybody wants Shohei Otani, but let's be honest, not every team has the assets or the capabilities of getting Shohei Otani. So it, those teams are going to go out, probably like the Brewers, I would say, is a team. I mean, I don't see them making a play at all for him. Um, they could go out and make trades ahead of time, address their needs sooner than other teams, right? Uh, versus their division rival, the Reds, I kind of pegged to be in on Shohei Otani. I actually think it's a really good fit there in Cincinnati, and they have the prospect capital. So maybe the Reds sit on their hands. They wait to see what happens with the Angels. If things don't work out there, then they turn their attention just to Dylan Cease. Who knows, right? So it is interesting. It's it's something to monitor. Um, with that in mind, though, thank you for sending your questions. Uh, if you do have questions for us, we will be happy to answer them in our near future podcast. So make sure you message us on Twitter at either Derek Johnson, so D Johnson Radio, or at Dusty Baker TV. Or you can also email us at boozeandbaseball at gmail.com, as you see on the graphic right there. We are going to move on to our actual focus, Derek, on the trade deadline. So what we're going to do is this. This is called Cheers GM. You are the GM of the team with these players. Who is keeping the bar open or closed? So specifically, are you open to trading this player if you are the GM of this player? That makes sense? Yeah. And we're going to start at the very top, Derek. You're the GM. Shohei Otani. Go right ahead. So I'm open to it if we're out of it or kind of below 500 at this point because the prospect haul you can get is probably going to be so immense that it can kickstart you rather quickly now obviously we're under the assumption with all these you don't get to say the easy answer of well if he tells you he's not going to resign with you or not no uh, you you don't you don't know so you're taking a risk so at that point yes I, I i think i would be open to it but also i don't know that i'd want to be the gm that was known for trading away shohei otani and it's funny because an Otani trade, no matter what the return is, you could almost argue both sides are going to be like, nah, I don't know about that. Like the side who gets Shohei Otani is going to be like, man, we gave up so much prospect future value for only possibly two months of this guy. Whereas if you're the Angels, you're going to be like, man, we gave up Shohei Otani for these players. Like that's not worth it in terms of just value of Otani for those guys. Um, but yeah, I, I would almost just try to um, – I'd be open to it if a if a trade blows me away. But, man, if, if we're staying above 500 and Mike Trout could be back by kind of beginning, middle of August, I I think I might stick with it at this point. I just wouldn't want to trade him. Yeah. I As the GM for Shohei Otani, um, I feel the same way. I, I think that I'm open to it. The bar is open. That doesn't mean that we are going to be serving drinks endlessly. I think that uh, there is a limited drink and you have to pay millions and millions of dollars in order to get it. And even then I may still not make it for you because I don't know if I feel like it. Um, that's kind of how it feels with the angels. Like it really does. And, and the way that they've been playing lately too, who knows? I mean, who knows if they're actually open to it at this point. So I would say open to it, but very, very thin opening. Like the bar is about to close um, very quickly here and you better pounce if you get the chance too. So um, you're going to have to have a amazing offer for Otani. Uh, and, you know, everybody wants to compare 
well, what kind of deal is this going to look like? We don't have any idea because you're talking about a completely different player being acquired than any that we've ever seen before. Um, you know, people want to compare it to like the Juan Soto deal, or they want to compare it to the Trey Turner, Max Scherzer deal. I would say probably Turner and Scherzer the most likely just because, you know, there was not control with Scherzer, but there was with Turner. So who knows? Who knows? It's, it's really, really difficult to break down. And honestly, I think unless you actually have those inherent conversations with the GMs, I, I, we can't really predict it all too well. Um, Players that are a little easier to break down. Derek, you are the GM for Paul Goldschmidt. I'm definitely open to doing this. So he is going to be 36 here and I believe about a month. And he's been awesome, but the Cardinals are clearly out of it at this point, 44 and 56. Um, He's owed $22 million this year. I think it's actually 26 with the luxury tax salary with the signing bonus. Uh, He's only under contract one more year. So if we fast forward to next year, and by that point, he's 36 going on 37. What's going to be the value there if you have to trade him that year, right? Like on the final year of a contract as a rental, I think you can get a good cost for him because that contract's not... Like it's, it's expensive, but it's not like overly expensive for how good he has been. Uh, another team would get another year of control. You would get him another year younger. You don't have to worry about the possibility of him falling off at all. For me, this is a clear I would be trying to trade about the Cardinals. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. I, I think that it would be surprising, actually, if we don't hear more rumors about him. And, and we really haven't heard a lot because everybody's been so, you know, honed in on Shohei Otani. But let's not forget Goldschmidt is as good as it gets of a hitter in baseball. I mean, he can trans, I mean, completely transform your lineup. So yeah, I, I don't see why the Cardinals who really desperately need pitching prospects wouldn't be open to the idea of dishing him. And uh, specifically to a team that has young pitching, young arms. Um, curious to see what that looks like. Cause the team is going to have to take on that, uh, that cash as well. And I don't expect the Cardinals to be open to eating the salary. So I will say they are the bar is wide open, but you're gonna have to pay because you're gonna have to pay the prospects and you're gonna have to pay Goldschmidt's contract. Like, I don't see the Cardinals in any way, shape, or form eating any of that salary. That's just not something they really do historically either. Um, so I don't see that coming. Now, let's go turn the page to his teammate on the corner, Nolan Arenado, open or closed. I'm a little less open than Goldschmidt because he is younger. He's still 32, but I'm still very open to it. He's still got four years, almost $110 million left on his contract after this year. Um, and he has a no trade clause through the next like three years. So um, if, if you're getting him to a point where he's amenable to be traded, like that might be better than fast forwarding to 2025 when he's 34 going on 35 and he's making $32 million with a no trade clause. Um, I don't know what the value here is, though. If you're forcing a team to take on all that money, are you not going to end up getting a good prospect? Because that's not something I'm interested in. I would rather just you know, keep Arenado. But if this is something where another team is willing to take on all of the salary and give me one of their better prospects, I'm open to it. Otherwise, I'm cool just running it back with Arenado next year at a 33-year-old and hoping that some good things go kind of around you a little bit better. Yeah, I'm actually closed. Uh, I think that it would have to take just a massive deal with like multiple top prospects. I ain't paying any of the money. I, I'm pretty close. And here's the reason why. Most players, you know, you're worried about the money. Well, Arenado is actually making the most that he will make in his contract this year and next year in 2024. Then it actually decreases year in, year out uh, through 2027. So, uh, according to spot track in 2024, he's going to make $35 million. That's a pretty significant chunk of money. 2025 he's going to make 32. Then you're going to expect some regression as he goes to his age 35 season, but he's also going to make $27 million, pretty steep drop off there of $8 million from what he's making right now. And then in 2027 his 36 year age season, he's making $15 million. Okay. That's nothing for the Cardinals. I, I think they'd have to be well overwhelmed at this point to actually listen to offers for Arenado. And if they part with Goldschmidt, don't expect them to part with Arenado. I, they need they need a piece that they can build the franchise around. And even at the age of 33 next year, you know he he's still producing at a very high level. And defensively, offensively, he can be that base for the next few years, even as he gets older. I I think the bar is actually closed for Arenado. So, I mean, things just don't really add up for me. Now, granted, 
who's to say that there's not a team that's coming out and dropping a massive offer that they can't refuse, right? Well, then obviously you're going to listen, but ultimately I don't expect that to happen. The Dodgers might be the one team that can pull that off, um, but I think they're saving money for Otani. So there's that too. Uh, Next player is Jonathan India. We'll be quick on this because we kind of covered him a little already. Bar open, bar closed. Yeah, definitely open. Yeah, I think it's open as well, just for all the reasons we listed. I'm curious to see, though, what the Reds actually do, if this is for real or not. Uh, Tim Anderson is a name that you brought up a little bit earlier. Bar open or closed? Very open, if I'm the White Sox. I mean, he has a $14 million deal for 2024, but it's a club option. I can't imagine right now that would not be declined with as bad of a season as he's having. So basically, that means he has two more months on this contract. So at that point, you're bad. Why would you not trade him? Yeah, I think it's wide open. I'm just curious to see what team is going to pursue him. You know, he is a really good player uh, as a whole, but the production he's had this year is just terrible. I mean, who knows if he can get out of that funk? Maybe he just needs to go to a new place, you know, to change the scenery, can kind of change the scope of things for him. But, I mean, he's been really, really terrible. He's one of the leaders in ground ball rate in baseball. I mean, he's just not a productive player right now. Uh, but as a White Sox GM, yeah, this is wide open. I'm trying to dish him at the moment. Uh, we're going to go to a couple pitchers here. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, we're going to combine them. Bar open or closed, Eric? Uh, definitely open. You're talking about a 38-year-old pitcher who has a player option next year for $43 million. If you can get that off the books, especially with as much as they're over the luxury tax with Steve Cohen, you're saving not just the 43, but a bunch of other stuff. And, and possibly you can get under to a point where you have more bonuses moving forward. Um, so with, Ver- with with Scherzer specifically, yes, definitely. He's got over four ERA. He's been solid, but he hasn't been, you know, Cy Young Scherzer. Verlander, kind of same thing. The strikeout numbers are down a little bit. If you get a team willing to eat that full money where you don't have to necessarily attach like a big time prospect. I don't know, man, with as much money as Steve Cohen has, um, I would almost like view it as maybe we should attach a prospect with Justin Verlander just to get him off the books, because then we know Steve Cohen can just use those $40 million next offseason. So, yes, very interested in, in possibly getting rid of both, assuming that they don't get hot here over this last week before the trade deadline. I think even if they get hot over the next week, and I don't think it's going to happen, but I think the bar should still be open regardless, just because that is so much money that's allocated. And they're in a division with the best team in baseball, quite frankly. So uh, while the wild card spots are always wide open, the National League has been incredibly competitive, right? Like there are a bunch of teams right now gunning for those wild card spots, and they're all within like half a game of each other um the Mets I just don't even see in the mix at this point they've been playing terrible baseball Pete Alonzo has looked awful you know there's some talk that maybe he's actually playing hurt um the production across the board just hasn't been great I I don't believe in this team by any means and I think that you're kind of right on point there that maybe they should attach a prospect or uh, go hunting for prospects at the moment because there needs to be a little mini rebuild here Uh, and it won't take long you know Cohen will sign somebody massive but um, they just need to turn the page. This didn't work out for them, unfortunately. Bar is wide open for both those pitchers. Uh, Dylan Cease, we talked about a little bit as a trade candidate. If you are the GM, though, of the White Sox, is your bar open or closed when dealing with Dylan Cease? Mine's actually closed here. Uh, he's got two more years of control after this year. I still think the White Sox are in a place where they're a big enough market team. You expect Luis Robert. You talked about Eloy Jimenez back on the team for next year. Like that division is wide open. Just reset with some of your top pieces, try to make some good signings in the off season, build some depth with some other trades you're going to have and run it back next year. And even if you can be like a 500 ish team that puts you in contention for the division. So cease would actually be somebody I would hold on to. I'd be a lot more open on Lucas Giolito. Yeah. I, I think Giolito needs to go no matter what. Um, I, and we'll talk about him in just a little bit. Uh, I struggled with this one a little bit because of the reasons that you mentioned. I do think the bar is open for him. And it's just because he's coming off a massive season. Um, Pitchers are just so difficult, right? Like they're so difficult to predict. And while I like the, the core that you have, Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, like Eloy has not been healthy. Luis Robert's been up and down health wise. And there's no real, I guess, status for me with the White Sox that, that leads me to believe that there's any hope. Um, as far as in the near future, right? Like 
top prospects. They don't really have a lot of them at the moment. They're, they're kind of lacking in a lot of areas. And it's crazy because this team, you know, two years ago, we were talking about as a world series candidate and they've just really fallen apart in like every aspect of the game. It's really quite shocking uh, how quickly their rise and fall went. So part of me has to think the ownership's going to really have to decide what is the direction that we wanted this organization, because you mentioned that that central division is open, but just with Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, I don't know if, you know, you can sustain um, Lance Lynn's getting older. He should be gone uh, at this deadline. Like expect him to be uh, dished off pretty easily. The White Sox are going to look different. Um, they're going to look very, very different. And if you trade cease now, you know the cost is going to be substantial, right? Like they're going to get a massive return. It's not going to be much higher, I think, this year than any other, like any time after, depending on what he does, right? Like he's kind of hit what I would consider to be his max value no matter what. Um, so maybe you take advantage of it before he heads into arbitration, gets really upset, pulls a Corbin Burns kind of thing. Um, kind of curious to see what happens. Uh, but I'm going to say bar open on Cease for that reason. Uh Two relievers for you to close this thing out. Josh Hader, your closer for the Padres. Yeah, open here. Um, last year of his contract, Padres haven't been doing so well. I would definitely think that you could get something back and then try to reset for whoever your closer is doing the offseason for next year. Uh, and then, yeah, with, with David Bednar, the last one here. Uh, that one's a little more closed. He has three more years left of arbitration under his contract here. It's one where I've seen the Royals so often um, here in just the area have a guy who does have two or three years left of control. And then they're like, ah, we, we're definitely not going to trade him. And then by the time he does get to the last year of the contract, they don't get anything for him because he's kind of fallen off. Like it's kind of happening uh, right now with Scott Barlow. It happened with like what Merrifield. It, it's happened so many times with them that I would want to get out in front of it before then. So if you do get a good enough offer, offer him open to it, but still with three years left, that's a lot of time. Uh, so that's how I'd be viewing those two. Yeah, I think with Josh Hader, I'm more open to it. Um, the Padres are not showing any signs that that'll be the team to crack the, the playoffs. And uh, they just depleted their entire farm system, really, to make these win-now moves. They may need to kind of take a step back and um, try to get a couple pieces to rebuild in areas that they need it. Um, so I think Hader, I'm pretty wide open on. Bednar, I agree with you. I have a little bit of trouble seeing them move him just because the Pirates are – you know, MLB Network Radio made a good point. The Pirates are in a weird direction right now. They actually have a lot of prospect capital. Like, they're in pretty good shape as far as having good prospects and having a possible win-now future in the near future. They just need to actually start winning baseball games and not, you know, sit down and, and kind of just accept defeat like they have been. Uh, you saw at the start of the year, they can be competitive, right? And remember... This is a team that hasn't had their best player, O'Neill Cruz, play basically any of the season. So you trade Bednar now, you're giving away what is rightfully a strength for this team heading into the next year, when maybe next year all they are is a signing or two away from being competitive like they kind of looked at the start of the year. I, I think the bar is a little more closed for me in Bednar's case. Now, I, the thing that's tough, I would still field offers because relievers can be very, very spotty over time. So I wouldn't fully close the bar. I would have my window open, uh, taking last calls maybe, just to kind of see what what's out there. But I don't know if I am actively shopping Bednar, if that makes sense. So with that in mind, those are our breakdowns as GMs. Uh, we do have one random player each of us is going to name that we think could be dealt at this deadline. We've been hearing rumors, uh, kind of a weird one. It makes sense when you look at it, but... Nolan Gorman to the Seattle Mariners in exchange for Logan Gilbert. Kind of a bizarre possible trade, but, you know, the Cardinals trying to get some pitching depth. The Mariners trying to get maybe some controllable hitters, uh, especially on a team that has so many great pitchers. Uh, one player that I'm curious about at the moment is Ryan Mountcastle for the Baltimore Orioles. There is just an influx of top prospects, and we're kind of seeing it with the Reds, as we talked about. The Orioles, it's the same way, and this is a win-now ball club. I wonder if they try to use a guy like Mountcastle while he's still somewhat in his prime, go out, dish him off for pitching, and then they go and make a separate deal for a guy like Goldschmidt. 
um, and kind of stack an area, get a little stronger at that first base position, um, use the youth and strength that they have there for, you know, addressing a different need. I just, it's not a name you expect to hear, but he hasn't necessarily been great lately with the Orioles. And this is a team that can't sit around waiting for his vertigo to fix itself. And that's been a big problem. He's had vertigo throughout the season. Um, I mean, at moments he said that the ball looks like it's a P so that's not good. Um, my guess is he's going to stay put, but I could see him get traded. What about you, Derek? I would go with just like in general, a San Francisco Giants solid <laughs> player because I think they want to be buyers at the deadline. They need middle infield that could use a starting pitcher upgrade. Right now, they're around 220 or so million dollars for their tax bill. 230 million is the line. I don't think they want to cross that this year just in case they do make a splash in free agency this next offseason that they they want it to kind of start then because you get the repeat, you know, kind of the taxation and, and penalties that come with it. So they don't want to cross this year yet, which means that if they're going to acquire someone, there's a good chance they're going to have to send someone back in another way. Now, a lot of these are probably more sunken costs where they might have to attach a prospect to get somebody else to take them. But, you know, I look at like Anthony DiSclefani with a couple of years left at about $12 million. He's struggling. Sean Manaya's really struggled after making him a free agent making 10 million, same with Ross Stripling at $10 million. You're going to have to attach some prospect capital or maybe make it a three-team trade in some regard with somebody you want to accomplish. Who knows? Maybe even, I, I heard someone talking about, I think it was Andrew Baggerly of The uh, Athletic, that um, if the Giants were to actually acquire Shohei Otani to try to make the money kind of work there, that, okay, well, Otani would be the DH anyway, and he's a left-handed hitting DH, that they could ship Jock Peterson off to another team and, and clear 19 million at that point. So I actually think that is one that might surprise some people where they're like, wait, they're buying, but why did they trade this major league player? But I think that's why to open up a possible roster spot and some salary cap. I like that. I think that that's actually a very strong candidate. I, I also believe that the giants are going to be buyers at this deadline. And I, I think Farhan, I mean, Derek's a giants fan. So Farhan has been really, really bad lately at making big moves. And I feel like he's heard this. I think he's seen what it happens to his team when he doesn't make big moves and other teams around him like the Dodgers do. Um, I expect this to be the year that he does something at the deadline. I really do. So I think the Giants will be more active. And I think that they're a favorite to land Shohei Otani as well. We'll get to that in just one second because we do have our last call, Derek. And uh, we talk about the bar closing this podcast, Closing with Fantasy Shots. Nothing better than shots, right? So we're going to talk about uh, teams that acquire these players. We can't, of course, say that they're staying with their team. So if I say Shohei Otani, we can't say, well, I'm picking him to go to the Angels or stay with the Angels. It's not a thing in this case. It's if they get traded, where are they going to? And it's a shot, man. We do it real quickly. So we're going to start at the very, very top here with none other than Lucas Giolito. Derek, where is he going? I'm going to say the Dodgers. He's from Southern California, uh, Harvard Westlake. We've heard all about that with, you know, him and Freed and Flaherty. Um, so I think there makes some sense there. White Sox are bad. Dodgers need another starting pitcher. I'm going to say, I think I like that pick. I'm going to say the Reds just simply because they've had a lot of time to scout them up North. They have a chance to uh, have the prospects to dish immediately. Um, I think that they've got the pieces to do so. They've shown some interest in him. The Reds make a lot of sense for Giolito. Uh, CJ Crone, first baseman for your Colorado Rockies. It comes becomes tough because with first baseman, you're not as versatile as other positions. The Milwaukee Brewers, though, are 24th in DH war. So you can use them as first base or it's DH. They're also 30th in the MLB in war for first baseman. Seems like a perfect fit to put CJ Crone there and – when you think Rowdy Telez, when he's healthy, he's on the IL right now. When he's healthy, he's a lefty, so he's going against righties. You can have a perfect platoon split where C.J. Crone is the first baseman against lefties. Rowdy Telez is the first baseman against righties, and then you can still D.H. Crone in the games against righties. I, I like that fit or a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's actually a really great target. And imagine him. I mean, he's been hitting in cores, but going to Milwaukee where the ball still launches pretty well, I, I think that's a good fit in – I like the platoon idea actually a lot. So um curious to see if that's some uh, a move that they would make. CJ Crone just kind of plays like a Brewers type player, uh, kind of gritty, um, a little bit under the radar, yet produces some pop. I like that a lot. I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners. 
Um, I think that there's some flexibility you can have with Ty France. Uh, there, there's ways the Mariners kind of configure their lineup. And it seems like the Mariners are going to get a little creative here as well. So uh, as far as dishing certain pieces elsewhere, it could be one of those teams that trades a player that we're kind of confused by. Uh, Crone, I think, fits nicely in that lineup, actually, as a right-handed hitter. Uh, Cody Bellinger. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Rays. I think this would actually be super interesting. Speaking of platoons, you know, Jose Siri, big power numbers, not great average overall. But with Bellinger, if you brought him in to play center field or whatever, you can basically have him be the strong side strong side platoon, whereas, you know, Siri's batting against lefties, Bellinger's batting against righties. So you're going to get more bats against righties. And then with Bellinger in the days that it is against a lefty, if you do want to get him in the lineup, you can put him in a corner spot. You can put him at DH. You can make it work. We know the Rays like to platoon players. And, uh, you know, with Bellinger, I think he makes a lot of sense because he's going to be a good fielder for them. He's someone on a one-year contract. We know they probably don't want to get invested long-term in some of these guys. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I can see him with the Rays. I, I think that's a solid, you know, kind of underrated fit for him. Uh, there's a lot of rumors going around of, of destinations for him. The Astros are the number one, and I actually see that as the most likely too. Uh, I think that he fits the lineup well. They, they could use another power bat. And what is actually shockingly a quieter lineup than usual this season, um, of course, the rise of Chaz McCormick out of nowhere uh, makes that, I guess, put to question a little bit. But there's still not a lot of depth out there in the outfield outside of Kyle Tucker. So um, I think that it's a solid fit. Uh, and especially with Jordan Alvarez's status of health kind of up in the air, it seems like he's going to come back soon. But, um, you know, you never know what that's going to look like sustainability-wise. I think Bellinger fits that squad pretty well. Uh, Marcus Stroman. Yeah, I saw some of those a few weeks ago when Alec Manoa was down, the rumors about returning to the Blue Jays, which that doesn't make sense to me because you have Kevin Gossman, Jose Barrios, who's done a lot better this year, Chris Bassett, who's just like a solid pitcher. You say Kikuchi's having a great year. And then even now that Alec Manoa is back up, he's looking good. Even if Manoa wasn't back or whatever, you're not going to bring on a guy like Marcus Stroman, who's a really good pitcher and cost you all this prospect capital to be your like number four, or number five, or have to push someone else down the line. So I, I don't see that one. I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I'm going to say black and orange. I think the Baltimore Orioles could use <laughs> another pitcher, could use a frontline pitcher. I think Marcus Stroman would fit in perfectly there. Or the San Francisco Giants. The Giants are in a spot where they have so many starting pitchers who are basically being multi-inning guys like Manaya, like Stripling, like Di Scalfani, like Alex Wood. But none of that, like they're all just like kind of average-ish pitchers who have a lot, in a lot of the cases, been struggling this year. So if they're going to get a pitcher, they're going to need someone who's like a front two or three guy. Stroman can be that guy. He had a lot of interest in coming to the Giants when he originally signed with the Cubs. Um, he ended up picking the Cubs over the Giants, but I think he has interest in the organization and I think he fits a lot of what the organization has done. You look at their starting pitchers, they're not necessarily high strikeout guys. They're limiting contact guys. That's the case with Logan Webb, with Alex Cobb, with Alex Wood, with all these guys. I think he makes a ton of sense in, in either black and orange, uh, uniform. I'm going to say the Rangers. That's right. I combined like three different names right there. The Rays seem the most likely, uh, I could see the Rangers getting involved. And I think if the Angels go on some wild winning streak here and decide to re retain Otani, okay, they have to solidify to their fan base that they're actually all in, right? They're going to have to make a move for a pitcher. Uh, Stroman actually makes a lot of sense for that organization. Um, kind of pairs well with the guy like Reed Detmers. And, of course, Otani at the top of the rotation. You could go Otani one, Detmers two, Stroman three. Some some way, shape, or form like that, right? Um and then canning for, I, I kind of like that fit actually out there in Anaheim. Um, but I think the Rays are the most likely just because they have the prospect capital uh, and the Rangers kind of same situation. The Rangers are going to need some pitching um, and it seems like the Rangers are all in this year. So the Rangers, kind of those three uh, out of the three, I'll choose the Rays as the most likely in that group. Uh, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, so I actually, I agree with you. The Rays need another starter, um, but I actually went with him here because I thought he'd be a good, reliable pitcher for them um, that you can put in like a game three or game four of a, a playoff series. Maybe you piggyback in a playoff series, Tosh Bradley off of him. Like that would be a lot of fun. You go with the lefty, then a righty, really mess with the lineup a little bit. But they could use some more security at the back end there. And I think when you look at it, they have a lot of guys who are kind of injury prone or like with Taj Bradley, how many innings are they going to let him pitch with Tyler Glass? Now he's had a lot of injuries. They've already had the injuries to, you know, Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen. They need somebody who you can reliably count on for innings. You're looking at a guy who had like, uh, you know, over 150 innings in each of the last two years. He's already had 115 this year. I think he makes a lot of sense there. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm going to use your argument for Marcus Stroman, transition it over to Jordan Montgomery, because I think the Orioles make a great fit. Uh, of course, he's got some familiarity, and this works for the Rays or the Orioles, uh, with the AL East already. Um, the Orioles just need pitching depth. I think that he's a solid piece. He kind of looks like a guy that would just thrive in Baltimore, too, in my eyes, and then they need a solid lefty uh, starter as well in that rotation. Um, I think that he kind of fits the bill. Uh, he's not a top end starter per se, but he's going to fill in the gaps that they need. They're, Baltimore never seems to get any ace potential. Uh, I will say this. It's interesting because their ballpark's bigger. Do they go after a bigger name? I don't know, but um, I think that he fits well in Baltimore for the same kind of reasons you mentioned for him to be in Tampa. Uh, Jack Flaherty. Uh, so I went with Boston Red Sox here. You know, I could tell you all about why the Red Sox, you know, need another starting pitcher. Um, obviously, that's not a position for them that I would cl- – I don't know that I'd classify it like a weakness, but I, I wouldn't classify it a strength. Like, I like what Brian Bayo's done, even though, um, you know, he's still a young pitcher. Uh, James Paxton's looked good for them. Like, but it's it's still not like a strength in any way. Now, I don't know if they'll be buyers because they're sitting basically tied fourth, fifth in the division right now. But the main reason I wanted Jack Flaherty on the Red Sox, Boston, Flaherty, like, come on, come yeah. on. Yeah, it, I I I do love that. I I think the fit the fit is beautiful there. So let's just speak it into existence. Why don't we? Uh, I like Flaherty to Boston. I like that. I'm gonna stick. You had this argument with Giolito. I think going to LA fits Flaherty well. Um, return to home, also teammates with Lucas Giolito, Harvard Westlake High School. Um, the Dodgers need another starter, and they've got Kershaw, and they've got Arias two lefties. Um, they haven't really had a righty step up outside of Bobby Miller. I think that they're going to try and kind of even that thing up there. And if they're not in on Stroman, uh, which I don't really see a fit there for some reason, I, I don't know if I like Stroman to the Dodgers as a thing. I think Flaherty's kind of that next guy. If they don't get Giolito, um, Giolito to me would be probably more likely, but if they miss out on him and since I'm going with Giolito to the Reds, I think Flaherty to the Dodgers makes a lot of sense. So, uh, they're going to go for a guy that they can kind of build and, and find potential in. And Mark Pryor is a genius. So who knows? He could probably kind of get what he needs out of Flaherty that made Flaherty a top prospect. Um, Kendall Graveman. I honestly, for all the relievers we're about to do here, I could just guess the Dodgers for all of them. And I feel yeah. like I'd be right with just like one of them. But I had Giolito to the Dodgers. So I feel like it just makes sense. Make it a package deal. Kendall Graveman goes along in the trade. Yeah, you know, I felt the same way a little bit with the Reds, just adding some depth to that bullpen. Um, but I actually see him ending up somewhere else. I kind of think that uh, the final destination will be the Texas Rangers. They brought in Araldis Chapman. I think they need one more righty arm that's not necessarily a closer, but uh, is a piece that can set up. And Graveman's very, very good at that. We've seen that in the past. He's not necessarily a good closer, though, right? And so... Um, I, I think that that kind of fits more of the bill of what the Rangers need anyways. And then all of a sudden, look at the back end of the bullpen. They, they kind of look solid when you go with a guy like him in the eighth inning, right? You could have Chapman in the ninth, and all of a sudden, in the seventh inning, you have Will Smith, a guy that was closing games for you. So uh, you can kind of transition however you want in that, that, that aspect, but he would be a great add, I think, for the Rangers. Um, a couple more we got, as Derek mentioned, they are relievers, David Robertson. He always like pitches on an East Coast team, like a Northeast team, like in the NL East or AL East. So I kind of wanted to go like the Phillies, but then I was like, ah, are they really going to trade him in division? Probably not. Um, so I'm going to actually just go with the Diamondbacks. Their bullpen's not very good. Yeah, this is where I go with the Dodgers. Um, I think that he would be a tremendous closer, and that way they can move Evan Phillips back into a setup role or more of – he's not even a setup. He's just kind of high leverage is yeah. what the Dodgers like to use with Evan Phillips. And um, – Wall Phillips has done a very good job in that kind of more it's, it's still a committee, but more of a closer role than any other player on that team. I think the Dodgers really want to utilize Phillips differently and to bring in a guy that actually knows how to close out a game in the ninth. David Robertson, I think makes the most sense in LA two more for you, Scott Barlow. This is another one that I think would make sense with the Dodgers. He's struggled a bit in the last couple of outings. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Maybe he hears the trade rumors and he's just ready to get out. Some of the stuff metrics are still good for him. So we'll see how it does. Uh, I think the Reds need another reliever, though. Uh, I'm going to go with Cincinnati. 
I, you know, there's so many different names of teams that have the same issues at this point. One that I'm kind of curious about just based off of the fact that they could strengthen what is already a strength would be a team like the Minnesota twins, right? Like they always seem to make moves of the deadline for depth purposes. And I could see, even though it's within the division, um, I could see just for the, the sake of the fact that they don't necessarily have a ton of depth in the back of the bullpen. I mean, Duran is incredible, right? Uh, but to have a couple pieces to really lock down the ninth inning, eighth inning, seventh inning, he just kind of fits the mold, I think, well out there. I don't think it goes far down the road. I think Minnesota is actually a, an underrated fit, um, considering that it's actually a fairly decent bullpen uh, to make what is a strong bullpen even better. Uh, that'll be kind of my weird one out there. All right, the last one, Derek. This is the one everybody wants to hear. Uh, it's Shohei Otani. Where is he going? The Oakland A's offer their entire team and the entire group of prospects. The Angels turn it down. Uh, they Where would. They, have to go? they would. They actually would. I know we can't pick this. I do think he's going to end up staying an Angel. But uh, for the sake of picking something else, I kind of want to go like a sexy pick. The Padres randomly get hot here. And then just like A.J. Preller does A.J. Preller things. Like they're only like 500, but he's like, screw it. We're going all in. Um, I kind of want to do that, but I also think the Rays one would be a lot of fun. I brought that up on a show about a month or two ago. Uh, let's say, like, I don't know, Kyle Manzardo and something else fun goes to the Angels and Otani goes to the Rays. Yeah, I like the Rays a lot. I do. And I thought, I honestly started liking them more after you'd made that point uh, a couple, yeah, a month ago. Um, I started thinking about it more and the prospects that they have to their disposal. I mean, you could build a brand new team. And the Rays still wouldn't be, you know, out from underneath themselves with the prospects they have. Like, they have so much prospect capital. It is absolutely insane. We know the Dodgers won't be acquiring Otani. Uh, the Angels said they will not trade him to the Dodgers. I think that's a terrible decision because the return they would get there is absolutely incredible. The team that I think is going to actually have the best to offer, if it's not the Rays, though, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I've had the chance to see a lot of these prospects up close. There are so many talented players within this farm system, both major league ready and younger that are ascending. And I think that it's really dependent on what the angels at that moment would want. They can get anything. I mean, all of a sudden you don't have to trade Jonathan India. If you trade Noel B. Marte, for example, and pair him with a, uh, a star pitcher that they have. Connor Phillips is a stud. He's had a pretty good week already. Uh, I could see him being in the mix there. Um, they've got a, good, a lot of good young talent in single A, double A. And keep in mind, the Reds in their draft, they drafted two pitchers that are college pitchers. So they're building to win now. And even if they lose those infield pieces to try and win this year, they will have pitchers coming soon in louder as well as they'll have Ty uh, Floyd out of LSU come and hit their way as well they're not going to be missing out on much. I don't think, uh, you know, they, they have prospect capital to their disposal. So I will say the reds are my fun pick. They go on this magical ride. Hopefully they keep India just for the sake of it. Uh, and, uh, they go on a ride and get Otani. That would be pretty dang cool. Okay. With that in mind, Derek, any final thoughts as we approach this trade deadline? No, just looking forward to it. I, my final thought is this pretty simply. I, I think that you have to sit back as a fan and appreciate what we're dealing with right now because this could be a generational trade deadline based off of the names that we've just been talking about. I mean, we're talking about Hall of Famers right now that could be very well on the move. So it uh, should be extremely exciting to watch and uh, keep track with both Derek and myself on Twitter as well. We will keep you updated with our thoughts and, and takeaways uh, on Twitter. You'll see some of these videos on TikTok as well. And uh, please, once again, if you have any questions for us you'd like us to answer on our mailbag, you know where to go find us. Find us on Twitter or our email as well. With that in mind, thanks for Derek coming back on board here. We've had a, It's been a couple weeks since we had a chance to do one of these podcasts. We're going to do this once again consistently uh, every other week. And uh, we hope you continue to join us. On behalf of Derek Johnson, I am Dusty Baker. Thanks for pulling up a bar stool and hanging with us. Let's grab a drink again in those two weeks. Till then, though, happy trade deadline season. Talk to you soon.